Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Church, good to see you guys. Welcome to all those uh, watching on the big screen, New Brunswick, Nutley. Glad you guys are in the house. Bienvenidos a la iglesia, mis hermanos. We say hello to our Spanish friends. We're doing Spanish translation. Pretty excited about that. But we're in this uh, this series called Touch, uh, week two, really all about miracles, signs, wonders, the miraculous. Um, the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl. You know that sort of thing. And uh, we really uh, opened a can of worms last week. I'll be real candid. I uh, had a young woman come up to me after the service because we were reading about, you know, the miracles of Jesus and saying, hey, does that happen today? Does God's power still flow through his people to perform miraculous healings? And she said, I, I felt this tension inside of me. Uh, she said, my father has MS. Uh, he's in a wheelchair, and I am a physician. And she says, I understand medically that that is a degenerative disease for which there is no cure. She said, and so I am also not a woman of science, but I'm also a woman of faith, and the tension I feel is I want to pray for him, and we have prayed for his healing. In fact, I attended a Pentecostal church, and they said, the reason he hasn't been able to get up and walk is because you don't have enough faith. Somebody in your family doesn't have enough faith. And she said, and so I feel this conflict. It kind of shuts me down, because on the one hand, I have my father, who I love with all of my heart, wanting to see healed, and yet also being a woman of science and a woman of faith and, and balancing all of it. And she says, and I'm hoping you're going to clear that up. I was like, whoa, because each of us has a situation in our life. You know somebody in your family who needs healing, or you were like, you know what? If God could just reach in and literally touch their life and, and, and cure them, change the illness, can, and cure their condition, you would do anything for it. And that's some of the hard questions we are asking because we're looking at the miracles of Jesus, taking them at face value and realizing that, you know what? They're central to illustrating his message about God's love and his power that's available today. So what I want to do is invite you to open up your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 40. This is the historical record of a miracle Jesus performed. In fact, it's two miracles, two healings that are kind of intertwined together. It starts at verse 40 underneath the heading, a dead girl and a sick woman. And here's what it says. It says, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Okay, so Jesus, his ministry is becoming, attracting a lot of attention because people are being healed. And it says, then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, which basically means he's like the town mayor, okay? Influential guy. He came and fell at Jesus's feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. I want you to imagine this. Those of you who have children, it just plucked a heartstring for you. My little girl is nine. I have one daughter, and this man's daughter is dying. 
says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So now we have two crises in collision. It says she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. I love this next verse. Look at verse 45. Who touched me? Said Jesus. Whenever Jesus asks a question, he knows the answer. (laughs) But it says, when they all denied it, Peter said, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you like a lot of people are touching you. But Jesus said, no, no, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she couldn't go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told while she touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, this is kind of interesting. Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and said, your daughter is dead. Don't don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, now don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be what? Healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he didn't let anyone go in except the inner three, Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother, so he kept it a tight circle. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. Verse 53, one of the cruelest verses in the Bible, they laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And her spirit turned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her a snack, (laughs) to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anybody what had happened. Stop right there. This is one of them passages that makes you go, hmm, what is happening here? Power encounter. There are so many things happening in these two healings by the great physician. And I want, I, it's funny, I have a friend who's actually a physician, and I asked him this week, I was like, what do you notice medically as you read this? He, he, he's, a, he's a surgeon. And he said, well, candidly, he says, uh, you know, as a medical doctor, the way Jesus helps people is kind of unorthodox. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, the two women who need help here, one of the cases is acute. The 12-year-old girl is dying. We need stat, triage. She is almost dead. The other condition is chronic. This is a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. And he said, as a surgeon, typically, if you're given a choice in the ER, you treat the acute trauma first, the one who's about to die. And yet Jesus stops to touch the life of the woman with chronic bleeding. I mean, you would think she'd waited 12 years. What's another day? especially when a middle school girl is literally about to die. He goes, so, so Jesus, he goes, I don't mean to be disrespectful, Tim, but Jesus is violating basic medical protocol. <laughs> and candidly, this account captures this tension we feel about this topic of healing. Why does God choose to heal some people instantly and not others? Or worse, says, I am going to heal you, but I'm going to make you wait. Well, another gets instantly cured. I mean, and is, is it about the, the, the strength of your faith? Does one have stronger faith than the other? Accounts like this in the Gospels, if you take them at face value, they raise all sorts of questions for me. And for you, you're likely thinking of someone in your life who you can relate to, and you're like, man, they, they could use God's instantaneous healing touch. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're here today, you have an illness, you have a condition that's vexed doctors, you would like nothing more than for Jesus to reach in and, and heal your life. Well, here's news. 
We are going to make some space after today's service to pray for anyone and everybody who wants us to pray for you for healing, okay? We're going to clear room at all of our campuses today, every service. But the first thing I want to identify is unpack some of these questions that are raised here. Like, why does Jesus heal some people instantly and make others wait? What does that say about God? What what does it say about us that that's offensive to us? Not only that, the woman, did you notice this? Who's instantly healed? Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Like, does God heal us based on, like, how much faith we have? Do you have, like, quite enough? Tom has enough. Janet, not so much. Or is it the other way around? I don't know. Like, how does that work? And, And what kind of faith are we talking about? I mean, think about this lady. She sneaks up behind Jesus to touch the edge of his robe. Like, fingers crossed, like, oh, I hope this works. That sounds more like superstition than bold faith, okay? And guess what? Jesus rewards her. He says, somebody touched me. I know. Power, dunamis, dynamite, boom, has gone out of me, which is kind of crazy because it says the crowds were crushing. In other words, everybody was touching Jesus. Everyone's brushing up against him, trying to get a piece, and guess what? Only one of them was healed. And it was this triumph for her, but guess what? It's a tragedy for Jairus. Because Jesus took the time to help this woman, that little girl died. Can you imagine this? In this service, if a father right now burst open the doors and came running down the aisle with his little girl in his hand saying, my daughter's dying, Pastor Tim, you've got to help me. Help me, please. I said, just a minute, I'm in the middle of a sermon here. I'm I'm rocking now. Can you imagine? No, seriously, just sit right there. You're going to need to wait, sir, okay? What would you assume about me? (laughs) That I was cold? that I was callous, that I missed the urgency of the situation. And that's how a lot of us feel about God. When it comes to healing, there are all sorts of questions that come you know, swirling through our mind. And many of us want to believe that, that God would care enough to heal us and see our situation. But when we read these things, it seems so strange and foreign and superstitious. And so we're left to do one thing, and that is doubt God's heart. We doubt the Father's heart towards us. I know he's good, but is he really good? Will he come through? Maybe his power was for back then before people understood modern medicine. I know some of you think about that, by the way, when you read the Gospels. (laughs) Because you read them, and and, you know, Jesus Jesus sees a boy who's foaming at the mouth, and he's having a seizure. And he says, I'm casting out the demon. Leave him. And some of you think, oh, poor Jesus. You know, he doesn't have a medical degree. Uh, He never watched Grey's Anatomy. He would know. Uh, He doesn't understand the scientific biological causes of epilepsy. That's what that is, okay? It's not a demon. We know better now. There are pills and therapies for seizures and that sort of thing. So don't get too supernatural and spooky about this stuff, right? Some of you are thinking this. I see it, okay? Your worldview kind of balks at this stuff. And and candidly, you don't want to get your hopes up or spiritualize stuff that you think, well, may have a more natural cause. There are all these issues to unpack so that we can learn to pray effectively for the sick in our lives today. So let me make this very personal and uh, germane here to Liquid and tell you uh, the story of one couple in this church who has lived both. Their names are Lance and Laura. And uh, formerly from our Morristown campus, they're now part of the core team serving in Nutley. Uh, But Lance and Laura, handsome couple, yeah. Uh, They have been married about four years, and uh, Laura was actually an elite runner in her 20s. She was actually an Olympic hopeful. Fascinating story. Until one day, a few years ago, she actually experienced some soreness and swelling in her lymph nodes, uh, began having very intense muscular pain that got so severe, she actually wound up bedridden for two years. She had to quit running. She actually had to leave her job, took a medical leave of absence from grad school. 
And her husband, Lance, and her have seen over 200 specialists in two years. And none of them could offer a diagnosis, let alone a cure. Enter God. Some of their friends invited them to liquid. And what they've experienced over the last six months illustrates what we're talking about. God has touched their lives in a very profound way and healed them at a very deep place, though not necessarily in the exact way they were expecting. This is their story. I'm Lance. This is my wife, Laura. We've been coming to Liquid for a few years. About a year and a half. About a year and a half. And we had friends invite us. They had a card. It wouldn't be weird. And finally, we're here. Every time we came, it was just everything that we needed to hear. It was just inspiration for us. My illness started when I was 24. At the time, everything was going great. I was working for the Center for Human Genetics. I was running for an Olympic development training program, and it was a goal of mine to run in the Olympics. Within about one year, one morning, I just woke up with swollen lymph nodes, and then within a couple weeks, I was just stricken with this horrible muscle pain, just everywhere. And then within about a year, it became so severe that I just slowly had to withdraw from life. I took a medical leave from grad school and that was the first really difficult thing. And I had to completely quit running, which was a huge goal of mine at the time. I had to completely leave my job. Um, and then it got so severe for a period of two years where I almost never left my bed. It's just like our life took a 180. For about a year to two years, my only prayer that I prayed was that God would take me home. We probably saw about 200 specialists at the time, at least 200 specialists just, and they were just perplexed over the whole situation. They couldn't figure out in any way what was happening. I was, I was strong at that time, but I was not asking for help from God at all. Um, it didn't, I was more angry than anything else. And, uh, and until we came to Liquid and we saw uh, this community of people who would do anything for us, Especially meeting the friends that we have in life group changed our lives. I mean, they instantly, the first day we met them, they would, you know, whatever I needed help with, whatever Lance needed help with, they would drop anything to do it. In the spring, we did the fast. And, and at first, I didn't think I could do the fast at all. And so I was just <laughs> like, all right, that'll be something for everybody else. I wasn't able to go to church one day, and so Lance came down to meet me, and he just said, um, he brought the contract um, for the fast, and I wasn't planning on doing it, but before I realized it, I had signed it. And then I thought, well, I signed a contract with God. I've got I can't to... break that. Right, I can't break the contract. <laughs> yeah, Laura began to eat what is termed healthy. Fruits, nuts, vegetables, no meat. You know, we stuck uh, right to that. Uh, and she felt worse and worse and worse. The week following the fast, um, we prayed with Pastor Tim, and we prayed specifically that, that that week and that, that day that God would take away my pain for a period of, of 24 hours just so that we would know that, that God is in control. A few days later that week, I had felt better, like literally no pain, and that hasn't happened since I got sick over six and a half years ago. I had so much trouble with the fast that that day all I ate was candy, all I ate was carbohydrates. The one service was an amazing experience for us. It was really the first time that we had realized more than anything, more than my healing, more than me feeling better, more than a diagnosis, 
what we wanted most of all was a relationship with God. And that was the first time that we realized that out of anything that we had prayed for, that's what we wanted the most. Knowing that all we had to do was just ask for a relationship with God and ask to be saved, and then what that would mean to us and to not only our relationship together, but like for the future, it was just just perfect. It was exactly what we needed to do. And, and coming out of that, the different outlook that you have on life, knowing that you... What's really important is your relationship with God. That's amazing, right? That's it's kind of amazing. Can we hear for Lance and Laura? Absolutely. They're an incredible couple. Here's the interesting piece. Laura is not completely healed. In fact, fasting helped her see the condition is actually impacted by her diet. And now they're actually, it turned them on to this idea that maybe there's a diet issue here. And they actually are now seeing this metabolic specialist who is, is helping them make progress in that. But what I love about, think about this, how that, that story works. What I love about that is that, that Laura and Lance's experience, it shows how God wants to heal our lives in a holistic way. In other words, we may come to him with a physical need, cure my illness, and instead he heals our hearts. Did you catch that? I've been praying with Lance and Laura for several weeks, um, and they were praying and fasting, and I just assumed they knew Christ because they're praying and fasting, and actually they didn't. <laughs> and it was at that one service that they said, we've actually never had our hearts cleansed and forgiven by Jesus and had a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need to do that. Now, which is the greater miracle? You tell me. That was an answer to my prayers. I was fasting and praying that God's Spirit in our church was going to kind of stir hearts and dozens of people would give their lives to Christ. And here I'm looking, and here come Lance and Laura walking down, you know, the aisle to give their lives to Christ. It's like, what's the greater miracle? If you had to choose one, physical healing or spiritual salvation, they chose wisely, amen? That's how Jesus ministered. Remember the crippled man? He didn't say, I heal your legs. He said, your sins are forgiven. In other words, Jesus saw the physical and the spiritual as integrated. You are not just a body with a soul. You're a soul that happens to have a body. <laughs> and after he forgave that man's sins, then he said, now get up and walk. And he did. So the physical and spiritual are more linked than we think. And that can kind of help us get our minds around some of these questions that this account in Luke raises. That bleeding woman, she must have been ecstatic. She must have been thrilled. She just touched Jesus' robe, and instantly God's power flowed through him, and her bleeding stops. Twelve years of a defeated life, and we long for those moments of victory. But at that exact same moment, think about Jairus. At that exact same moment, his daughter is dead. And we say, well, yeah, but you know, we knew Jesus. Jesus was planning to raise her from the dead. Jairus didn't know that. <laughs> Can you imagine his confusion? When you're certain that God is going to come through for you and he doesn't. What do you make of that? I mean, if we really believe Jesus conquered the grave, then why is the mortality rate still hovering around 100%? Yeah? If death and disease are the final realities of life in this fallen world, then why bother praying at all? What I want to show you now is the key for, for making sense of this whole thing. Are any of you old enough, be honest, to remember ABC's Wide World of Sports? Is anyone old enough? Okay, this was a TV show, like in the 70s, okay, on Saturday afternoons, and it had this epic opening theme. Do you remember this? Watch this. Do you remember, some of you remember. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport. The thrill of victory. And the agony of defeat. Oh! remember that? This is before Johnny Knoxville, okay? 
wide world of sports, it always opened. It burned in my mind because the announcer would always begin with the same words. He said, the thrill of victory. And then they would show footage of like Sugar Ray Lewis, you know, or, or they'd show like the Olympic hockey team, woo, beating the Russians, the thrill of victory. And then he'd go, and the agony of defeat. Oh. And then you see this guy tossed like a rag doll. He goes off the ski jump. I, re- I, re- I loved watching that. Listen to me, guys. Listen. In a lot of ways, the Christian life is summed up like the opening to Wide World of Sports. Following Jesus, there are thrills of victory, and there are these agonizing moments of defeat. That's the Christian life. The thrill of victory. We all love the part of Hebrews 11 where it says, the heroes of faith shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. In this life, we all long for these moments of miraculous breakthrough where God's power comes through and we taste victory. But guess what? Nobody reads the rest of Hebrews 11. It says, and there were others who faced jeers and floggings. Still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in half. Destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. In other words, following Jesus Christ includes the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Okay, Just as you taste the power of God in your life, you are confronted by the pain that this world has to offer. And that's the big idea, guys, for your life to make sense. There are two parallel tracks that the Christian life runs on. There is power and there is pain. There is victory, there is defeat. The woman is instantly healed, the little girl dies. Lance and Laura have an epiphany. Salvation comes to their house. Bing! We need to be forgiven by God. They're encouraging signs of recovery. I prayed for that in April. Do you know what else I was praying for? A little boy named Samuel Moravi. And some of you were praying for him too. He was the, the unborn child that God had given to Jose and Kristen Moravia at our Morristown campus. And uh, he had his, you guys remember this, he had holes in his heart. His intestines were on the outside of his body in utero. And that's spring. Sunday after Sunday, we put our hands on Kristen's belly. And we prayed. We, we labored. We believed. God, we asked, would you heal this little baby boy, and his life will be a testament to your power, and, and spare him, and spare him, and, 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 and we prayed. And when that didn't happen, I have never been more crushed as a pastor. Pastor Tom and I have been praying and just pressing in with them, and Jose and Kristen, they're beautiful people, and that was just crushing for all the joy of hugging Lance and Laura that day. And next week, I went to the funeral of little Samuel and hugged Jose and Kristen. And I remember going, leaving the funeral, just going to my car. All right, we'll see you at church. And just closing my door and just, just weeping. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. To see God's power poured out and yet to taste the bitter pain of an unnatural life cut short. That is where you and I live, guys. We are caught between two worlds. For every Laura, there's a Samuel. For every Peter released from prison, there's a James who's executed there. Every Christian knows this from personal experience, that the Christian life is lived 
on two parallel tracks. Power and pain, victory and defeat. And there's a reason for that. The answer is rooted in Jesus. It's in his teaching about the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus first came to this earth, he came in what? What do you think? Power. Okay, Jesus came, we looked at it last week, he began casting out demons, he healed every disease, he calmed the wind, he commanded the waves, he told demons, go to hell, and they went. And his disciples loved it. They were like, the power of the kingdom come on earth. What they weren't prepared for was the painful side that was about to follow. They said, that's not part of our picture, God, of how you work. Let that sink in, guys. Because what happened on the cross is the reason you and I are here today and can actually know with 100% certainty that we have peace with God. That our sins are guaranteed forgiven. It's called the atonement. Where Jesus had to shed his blood and suffer an unjust death and suffer and die so that we could be healed. That's what atonement means. You guys know this? It means at one meant. We're made one with our heavenly father through the death of his son. That's what atonement is. And that's God's miracle. Here's how I'm going to save the world. I'm going to show them my power, my love, through extraordinary pain, barbaric death. That's the face of love. And you may say, that's, that's crazy. Why did God have to do that? You know what? What would you do if that was your child suffering? What if that was your 12-year-old girl? You'd be like, that's my daughter? I'd do anything to save her. I'd lay down my life. No, no brainer. I'd do that for my daughter in a second. That's how the father feels about you. That is why the son gave his life on the cross. To save you that you might become a son or daughter of God. Some of you have never grasped this. It's been up in your head and it's got to move to your heart that the Father loves you that much. You've never known a Father's love like this. You've had an orphan spirit. And the Father says, I, I'm dying for you to come home. Come home. Receive salvation. I want to heal your life from the inside out. Atonement. Folks, that's what happens when God uses pain in your life in a very powerful way. At that moment, that seemed like a victory for Satan. Satan and the powers of darkness. And God turned it into one of his greatest triumphs. But no one could see that. For an entire weekend, the disciples just shook their heads. They just, I don't understand this. I can't get my mind around the cross. But later that weekend, surprise, Jesus' resurrection from the dead said there's going to be more of it. You're going to be healed through my wounds. I'm going to give you a restored life. You're going to begin making sense of your pain. And death is going to lose its sting. That's not the worst that can happen to you. You're re reconciled to the Father, but guess what? I'm going to give out of my wounds, out of my blood. There's going to be healing in your life. There's going to be power. In that empty tomb, guys, that's where power and pain, all of this within a span of three days. Grasp this. This is the kingdom in a nutshell. That's the gospel. That's the good news that I am staking my entire life on. Are you? Is that what you believe? I mean, in your heart. Have you received the Father's love? The way you receive the Father's love is through his son. Through his son. It is the most important healing you can ever, ever receive. No matter what you have done, you can have a brand new life with God today. If you have never done that, 
You simply ask God to come into your heart, to heal your heart. You receive forgiveness through Christ, but you've got to ask him. You have to say, I, that was for me. God, make me your son or daughter. I want to give you a chance to do it. Would you just bow your heads real quick? Maybe you have never prayed that way. Just bow your heads real quick. Real simple. It is all about sincerity. It's not about a formula. You can just pray in your heart. Father, I see your love for me. I receive your son, Jesus. Forgive my sins. Heal my heart. And fill me with your spirit. I want a new life. I'm done with being alone. I want to live with you and for you. Lord, I pray right now just for men and women across our campuses, people watching online, Father, would you receive their prayers right now? Confirm with them through the power of your spirit that they have entered the kingdom of God. God, I thank you that you're expanding your kingdom every moment, God. Receive them. Let them know the joy of the Holy Spirit that comes with salvation. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Here's the deal. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to welcome you, not to our church, but to the kingdom to God's family. That's what you're a part of. There comes this moment where you make that real. And, and here's the deal, guys. I want to orient you now to what's about to happen. You're going to feel caught between two worlds. Because when Jesus first came on the cross, he did one thing. He defeated Satan, sin, and death. But when he comes again, he's going to destroy it forever. But right now, we live in the space between. We're caught between two worlds. You are living on twin tracks, a track of power and a track of pain. Because the Bible says the world is still controlled by the evil one. 1 Peter 5 says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a what? Roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, we are still under attack. There's a battle going on. That explains the presence of cancer, of suffering, of death, of children who don't get well, of people we love who get sick. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what you're receiving when you receive Christ as your Savior. You say, my life is about half full. I want a full life. But understand, the thief is here, and he's going to try to steal it from you. So on the one hand, you have the enemy of humanity's soul. His sole object is to steal, kill, and destroy. And on the other hand, you have Jesus now who is filling you with the Spirit, and he's trying to heal, restore, and bring you back to what the Father intended, okay? Now, I don't know how that feels in your home or your family, but every day I am reminded of this reality, that we face a fierce enemy. I was talking with a friend recently, incredible young couple, and they just received news that they can't have children. That's their dream. That was their dream. Start a family. They received news of infertility, and now they're praying for a miracle, that God will literally touch their life and perform a miracle. Some of our closest friends, Colleen and I, one couple is going through a devastating divorce. It's, 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 it's painful to watch. It's tearing their family apart. They are praying for a miracle. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy and blow that family up. I have another friend whose young son actually has a, has a malformation, and they're coming up against a deadline. In two weeks, they're going to have surgery for him, and they've been praying for six months that God would fix this because the first time he had surgery, the little boy had night terrors. They said, we don't want our son to go through that. God, would you heal his body? And they're praying, spare him the surgery. The hard truth is we are saved by the power of God, but living in a painful, broken world. C.S. Lewis said, enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. 
And you may say, well, wait a minute. I thought on the cross Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death. Yes, he did. Make no doubt. They've been defeated. But catch this. They haven't been destroyed. You and I live in the space between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. The theologian Oscar Coleman compares it to the time in World War II between D-Day and V-Day. Do you guys remember this? Who's seen Private Ryan? You guys know this. World War II, bloody war, hinged on the Allied invasion on the beaches of Normandy. When those guys landed on Normandy, the Allies invaded up the beaches, lost thousands of lives. But that was the turning point in the war because they established a beachhead in Europe and 100,000 soldiers began marching across Europe and everybody knew if they can make it through the beach, defeat of the Nazis was inevitable. Even Hitler in the Third Reich knew they were outflanked. They actually have journals of this, that they knew they were, were, were done. We are defeated. But catch this. V-Day didn't happen until a full year later. And during the space between these two, even though the enemy was positionally defeated, the fighting was more fierce than any other period during World War II. In fact, catch this. More men died in that single year of fighting than all the other years of World War II combined. That single year. The space between D-Day, the great invasion, and V-Day, victory. It had the highest number of casualties than any other time in the war. That's where we live right now. That's where you live right now. Somewhere between D-Day, the great invasion, the kingdom is here. With the coming of Jesus, the enemy is defeated. We know how this turns out. Let me see. Mm, Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Yeah? But has victory come fully? Not yet. We still see the painful effects of the enemy all around us. In other words, there's this already God has come and broken in in Jesus and offered salvation. And not yet. Not everybody is saved. The the enemy still is, is, is he's on a leash, but it's a very long leash. We know how this ends. We have hope. But until Christ returns, he's left us here now to do what? Guess what? Fight. To battle. To actually travail. To bring heaven to earth. To heal the sick. To serve the poor to restore sight to the blind and bind up the brokenhearted. That was Jesus's declaration of war from Isaiah 61. He says, I'm inviting you. I'm drafting you into a service. The problem is the church is half asleep. Wake up. That's what Jesus calls us to do and what he empowers his followers to do. It said, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them, what's the words? Let's read it together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. That's the mission we've been called to. God empowers us by the Holy Spirit, and we now have authority to pray for the sick in Jesus' names. That's where the battle rages today, in the space between D-Day and V-Day. And that perspective, guys, candidly, that makes all the difference when it comes to praying for the sick people in your lives, when it comes to this issue of healing. Because every single person at all of our campuses, you can right now think of somebody in your family who could use God's healing touch, yeah? You could think of somebody, know that person at work, Maybe it's you. Maybe you have a chronic condition, arthritis, a bad knee, unrelenting back pain, wrist headaches. It doesn't matter if it's chronic or acute. Here's the truth. Every single person who is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit inside of you. And as his disciples, he has given you power and authority to minister in his name. I want you to understand this. Power. Power is simply, the word is dunamis, dynamite. It's the strength to complete a given task. Authority, exousia, that's the right to use the power God's given you. So this is not about you being powerful or saying, be healed or trying to imitate some some awful big-haired preacher, okay? 
It's about God exercising his authority and his power through you. Think of it this way. A policeman standing in the middle of traffic, he does not have the power, does he, to stop a car. SUV comes, he does not humanly have the power to do that. He can, however, stop them because he wears the badge, carries the gun, and wears the uniform. He stops them by the power invested in him by a higher authority. And in a very real way, you and I have been given the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's your Savior, he's your Lord, and he says, now I'm going to minister my life out through yours. So prayer becomes a very powerful weapon to demolish strongholds. It's why we, why we pray in Jesus' name. That's not like something we learned in kindergarten. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not that. It's powerful. This is the name at the cross. This is the name that defeated Satan, sin, and death. It's shattering strongholds. It is very, very powerful. So you've got to take a step back. I get real casual about this. But there's something deadly serious here about the way to minister in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And that's how we're going to pray for some of you in a few minutes. And we expect, you know what? We expect God's power to break through. And you know what? At the same time, we're open-handed and we say, it's okay if it doesn't. Because we understand that the gospel includes pain and power, a wounded healer at its core. That's who we follow. That's our model, okay? Go back to this bleeding woman. She had a very simple faith. She thought, if I could just get into God's presence... I think Jesus could just, he could, he could change my life. She touched him and the bleeding stops. The kingdom of God comes. That's the future breaking into the present. At the exact same time, that little girl stopped breathing and her dad was shattered. That's already not yet. There is power and there is pain. There is sorrow, there's joy. Jesus eventually says, she's just sleeping. Just as you're going to do <laughs> one day, you're going to sleep. But I'm going to raise you back to life. In other words, what happened to that little girl is going to happen to every single one of us eventually. When Christ returns, death will be banished, and each of us will be raised back to resurrected life with God. In the meantime, we are supposed to pray with bold expectation because we believe in the Father's love. We believe the Spirit of God can break in at any moment with miraculous power. You know what James 5 says? It says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That's why we pray for healing, because we know that disease, death, these are the works of sin and Satan. It is not part of God's program. So when we pray, kingdom come, your will be done. We're praying for the kingdom to come, the future to break into the present, and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying for. We're praying for a miracle. More your kingdom, God. More your power, Father. More of your love through your son, Jesus, in this life, because that's where we're headed. And that's what healing prayer is. That's how we're actually going to pray for many of you in a few minutes. We're going to invite you at every single one of our campuses to come forward if you would love to receive a prayer of healing. Offered in faith by people who we are training, and they are simply hungry to see God's power touch your life. But before I do that, I want you to see what it means to live in this tension of a kingdom where pain and power intersect. Lance and Laura, um, they are still seeking her complete healing, but it hasn't happened yet. So a few weeks ago, they visited a Christian leader who God has used in the past to heal people. And I want you to listen to their experience as preparation for what we're going to do today. Lance and I had heard from some really good friends of ours. They had told us about a pastor that they grew up with. And he had apparently a gift from God of healing. And he had healed people of numerous illnesses. And so 
it was a leap of faith for us to go there. We went in, and especially Lance went in, just believing 100% that I would come out healed. And the amazing thing that we felt and was the presence of God. Undoubtedly, all five of us there felt the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. But nothing happened. I mean, other we felt God's presence was a miracle in itself, but I wasn't healed during that session. And the day after that, it was pretty devastating. Next day, I had never seen Laura feel that physically bad. And, and that was uh, the exact opposite of what we were hoping, you know. Uh, and it was literally so bad the next day that I couldn't move. My doctors just told me to go to the emergency room so they could put me on a morphine drip. For me, though, I thought that that feeling of God's presence, that that was my answer. That I had prayed that if it wasn't his plan, that if he had a different plan for me, and that I, it wasn't his plan that I would be healed that day, that I would feel his presence. But just knowing that he had a plan for us, it gave me so much comfort. The one thing we struggled with, though, is that we really wondered if it was that we didn't have enough faith that I was healed. And that was really hard for us. And we wondered that for a long time. Our, our challenge with Laura's condition has, has become instead of a, I hope that you know one day she'll be healed, it's let's just focus on today and let's get through today. The scripture that gave us so much comfort was in Second Corinthians when Paul prayed three times for the thorn in his side to be to be removed and and it wasn't and God said to him my grace is sufficient for you and what I really take to heart is is knowing this past year how much God has used this experience in our life to bring us closer to him and because of that I can be thankful for what's happened to me is that amazing did you hear what she said she said I can be thankful for what has happened to me Nobody on the face of this earth would ever choose a debilitating metabolic disease. And yet somehow, Laura's perspective has shifted to this, this, this spiritual strength that God is giving her in the midst of this physical weakness. The, the Holy Spirit is literally giving her and Lance the faith to persevere. They, they press in daily for filling by their father. That is so inspiring to me. I'm like, Lord, increase my faith how their faith has grown through this ordeal. Usually a chronic debilitating illness, candidly, it makes people bitter, divides them. This has brought them together. It's brought them closer together and closer to God. That's living proof of how God works all things together for good for those who love them. They are, it, something else from their story struck me. First off, they're asking the right question. When a lot of us get sick, you know what our first question is? Why? Why would you let this happen? Why aren't you fixing it, God? Whereas their question is, what? It's not why, God, haven't you healed me? It's what are you trying to do inside of me, inside of my heart? She said three times Paul asked for that affliction to be taken, and it wasn't. And she said, if I have to carry that, well, then it's going to be a blessing to other people. That's what God's doing inside of me. That is powerful. Candidly, when I talked with the, these guys, because you know, we've been praying together for a while now, and uh, my heart kind of winced when Lance told me that uh, when Laura wasn't instantly healed by that, that Christian leader, he did say, maybe someone in this room doesn't have enough faith. Or they said, is there hidden sin in your life? Is there anything that you need to confess? I think that is a mistake that many Christians make when you blame the victim 
when healing doesn't instantly happen. Candidly, that is a weakness of some Pentecostal approaches to healing that I want us to avoid. Um, some of our charismatic brothers and sisters teach that healing is guaranteed in the atonement. And, uh, and that just like we say forgiveness is guaranteed, they'd say, they say they highlight verses like, by his stripes we are healed in their books and songs and such. And unfortunately, when you guarantee physical healing completely, it misses the already not yet reality of the kingdom. Remember, where are we living? Between D-Day and V-Day. That's where we are in God's story. And the fighting is very fierce, and the casualties are very real. Some people will be lost. Believers get sick all the time. One day, each of us will die if Christ does not return first. So the problem is when you claim that everybody is going to be healed if you just have enough faith. When that doesn't happen, people either lose faith or they blame themselves for their so-called failure, okay? So think about this. You have someone who is suffering deeply, is sincerely seeking Christ, and now you're not healed? Well, someone around here doesn't have enough faith. Please, if healing rested on us having perfect faith, no one would be healed ever, okay? Faith is not psychological certainty. This is not about you conjuring up this triumphant, you know, kind of like, you know, state of mind. That puts the focus on you and what you bring to the table, positive thinking. Rather, you know what faith is? Faith is risk. Faith is saying, I trust the Father so much that I'm going to risk looking like an idiot, and I'm going to pray for your healing. Faith is saying, I don't even believe, Father. I, part of my heart doubts, but help me overcome my unbelief. I'm going to look stupid if I come up here. And the Father sees that. He says, ah, the kingdom belongs to the children. Those of you who are childlike enough. Those of you who are humble. So when healing doesn't instantly happen, understand this. You don't need to blame God or yourself. It is simply part of the future reality of the kingdom. Satan, sin, and death are still operational in this theater of war, in this present darkness. Positionally, they are defeated, but they are not destroyed yet. So if you're going to blame someone, blame the source. Never blame the victim. Jesus didn't. I want you to imagine this. If Jesus had said, Jairus, <laughs> wow, guess you were five minutes late. I don't know. Should have touched my robe like she did. Now look, now look oh gosh, you're dark. God's timing is different than ours. Did Jesus plan to heal that little girl? Yes. Did he let her die first? Yes. And so it will be for some of us. Some of us are going to experience God's miraculous touch in this life, which is why we pray for anyone and everyone, because the kingdom can break through at any moment. Yet healing on this earth is partial and temporary. Even Lazarus eventually died. But mark this. Every single one of you is going to be raised to full eternal life when Christ returns in his power and authority. Right now, there's power and there's pain. And we're going to live in that tension, and we're going to pray for you today in that tension at each of our campuses. Here's what's going to happen. At each of our campuses, we have teams who are going to be coming forward to uh, the side screens, uh, led by your campus pastor, who, uh, who they're here to pray for you today. That's, that's simply it. They're here to pray in the power, in the authority in, uh, of, of Jesus for whatever needs that you have. And we're going to stay to pray for every single person who comes forward to the stage. So do you take your time? Um, and as they make their way up here onto the side screens, I just want to invite you candidly to take a risk. Come forward. That, that's what faith is. Faith is risk, pure and simple. It's not perfect, 100% ironclad belief. It's trusting the Father enough to put yourself out there even when you don't understand everything. That's what the bleeding woman did. She had the courage to approach Jesus, said, if I'm just in his presence, I think he'll respond in love. So you come forward believing God will, will touch your life, um, not because you understand how it all works, but because you trust him, you trust his heart, you look at the cross, and you say, that's, that's my Savior, that's my Lord. 
my, 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 my salvation comes through his blood, and I'm trusting him to actually touch my life. Um, here's the deal. Right now, guys, um, we're going to give you a chance to do that and understand this. The new normal in the kingdom of God is this way in Revelation. It says there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things is gone, and the new has come. That's your future. That's going to be the new normal. And so right now, we're asking God, the Father, to show us his love by giving a taste of us that in the present. That's what we're doing, okay? So we're going to, let's all of our campuses, let's just bow our heads for a moment, take a moment just to invite God's presence here, and then take a risk, get up and walk. In fact, let's pray uh, standing up. Would you guys stand up? Stand up. Come on, your legs are tired. Standing up. And after I finish, if you want to be prayed for, okay, just come down the side aisles, and we have people that are going to pray for you one or two minutes, and, uh, and just ask God to touch you, all right? And then I'll pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. I just thank you, Lord, that we can be a house where your spirit's welcome. God, and you have complete freedom in this moment to touch your children. Father, freely we have received from you the ultimate healing in our salvation. So now, Father, freely we give. We want to pray for your children who are hurting. Lord, I pray right now, just covering your people with your spirit, God, I pray for men and women who are suffering and have given up hope. And today, Lord, they're going to be touched and feel the love of the Father. That they're not alone. They're not abandoned. But you're right here. Lord, we pray all of this in the authority of Jesus' name, your Son. He is our Savior and Lord, and we ask you to cover your people. And Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come in power. Holy Spirit, come. Work in us and through us bring healing to this hurting world. In Jesus' name, all God's people set together. Amen. Amen. All our campuses, you can come down the side aisles to receive prayer right now. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.